are listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Good evening. I titled this message, Commander the Lord's Army, mainly because the text is about that but partially because it sounds tougher than the title I gave to the last message I gave that I got made fun of for because it resembled a daytime soap opera. That one was called Rest for the Restless. So the commander of the Lord's army, it is. Today's passage has meant a lot to me, especially during COVID and all the cultural issues we've faced in our country in the last year. A friend of mine who pastors a church in Cleveland um, encouraged me with this, and I hope it will be an encouragement to you as well. So please turn with me to Joshua 5, verses 13 to 15, page 181 of the Pew Bible. Joshua 5, 13 to 15. We'll be focusing on 13 and 14, but I'm going to read all three verses. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. First, who is this man that Joshua encounters with the sword drawn? Is he just a man? I don't think so, as we will see. Is he an angel? Perhaps. But we know from the Bible and Revelation that angels in general refuse to receive worship reserved for God. And Joshua worships this person. Is this person God the Father? Can't be because the Bible says in John that no one has ever seen God. And in Exodus, God says to Moses, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. God the Father is too holy for sinful man to see. But Joshua calls him Lord, and he worshiped him. So who is it? Our passage reminds us of a couple passages of Scripture. First, Moses in the burning bush in Exodus, and Balaam and his donkey in Numbers. In the burning bush, it says, An angel of the Lord says to Moses, Do not come near me. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground just like our text. And in Numbers with Balaam's donkey, it says, and the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. Very similar passages. So I think it is safe to say here that Joshua encounters the angel of the Lord. And who is the angel of the Lord? The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, 
people in the Old Testament who spoke with God face to face would have had to have spoken to the angel of the Lord, a.k.a. pre-incarnate Jesus. Every religion in the world tries to work their way up to God, but Christianity comes along with a God who makes himself known to us by sending his son. Colossians tells us, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The angel of the Lord appearances in the Old Testament are Christophanies. I love Christophanies in the Bible. I think that's why I was named Christopher, Christopher, because I love them. Especially how throughout the Old Testament, this entire book from beginning to end is all about Jesus. And Jesus supports this idea because on the road to Emmaus, in Luke 24, 27, it says Jesus appeared to a couple of people. And the scripture says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Arthur Pink says here, it is most blessed to observe how many and varied ways the Lord Jesus took to display his personal love unto his people by vision and open revelation, by type and tangible similitude in the early ages of the world until the time that he became incarnate and tabernacled among men. Quick side note, I want to mention about Christophanes and the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord appears not only to kings and prophets, but to the outcast and the dismissed. The first time the angel of the Lord appears in the Bible occurs in Genesis 16. The pre-incarnate Jesus appears to an outcast, mistreated slave woman named Hagar when she is depressed in the desert. Similarly, the first time the resurrected Jesus Christ appears in the New Testament is to another woman who's been cast out by society, Mary Magdalene, a Galilean woman whom Jesus had ex exercised seven demons from. Jesus Christ clearly has a heart for the marginalized in the society of his day. He sees them. Hagar said to the angel of the Lord, you are a God who sees me. Do we see the marginalized in our society as we seek to be more like him? Second, let's examine Joshua looking up. In verse 13, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. Joshua was near Jericho. He was probably praying and meditating and doing his due diligence as, he, as the commander, lowercase c, of God's people on the eve of an epic battle, planning his attack on Jericho. It says he lifted up his eyes and looked. People all over the Bible lift their eyes and look up. And really cool things happen. Check this Hebrew phrase out sometime. But one example of looking up that comes to mind for me that I want to share is Jesus would come back to this area in Jericho when he walked on the earth and he looked up. And in doing so, he saw a man named Zacchaeus in a sycamore tree and changed Zacchaeus' life forever. How often do we take a moment to look up? Are you too caught up in the daily grind and the selfish daily tasks like I am? that you don't take a minute to look up? 
When we look up, we see what God is doing, and God helps us put things in perspective. We become grateful. Maybe for you, there's a lot of frustration with your job, raising your children, or perhaps struggles in your marriage. Take a moment to look up and see all that God is doing and has done and be grateful. Let's be intentional during this busy holiday season to look up. It may be as simple as the Lord nudging us to reach out to someone who needs encouragement. Next, are we fighting the right battles? Continuing in verse 13, it says, And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Can we just first just acknowledge that Joshua is a G? What a courageous dude. This is an amazing scene, like all the good action movies, whether it's Bond or Bourne or Ethan Hunt. When they face danger, those guys run toward it. If I was Joshua and saw this stranger with sword drawn, I would have taken some steps back and said, hey, over there, buddy, you for us or our enemies? But it says Joshua went up to him. God had called Joshua to be strong and courageous and to lead, so he had very little fear. If God has called you into a leadership position, let's strive to be strong and courageous like Joshua. But listen to Jesus' response when asked, are you for us or for our adversaries? In verse 14, he says, no. But I am commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. What? When asked if he's for us or enemies, Jesus says, no. I'm for the Lord. Hold up. Let's take a moment to reflect on this. Put yourself in Joshua's shoes for a hot second. Lord, pretending we're Joshua, you led us out of Egypt, you parted the Red Sea, I fought some pretty fierce battles on your behalf. Remember the Amalekites? Forty years we wandered in the desert. You fed us manna from heaven. You helped us cross the Jordan. Earlier in, jo in chapter 5, Joshua obeyed the Lord and had all the second generation of males circumcised again. Whew. You think your middle management position's rough. We spied out Jericho, and here we are. Jericho is right down there. It's time for us to take down the Canaanites. We've been waiting for this time. This is our moment. And when I ask you if you're for us or enemies, you say no. I wonder what battles we are fighting that if we asked him if he was for us or our enemies, he would say no. I'm sure Peter thought he was fighting the right battle in the Garden of Gethsemane when they came to arrest Jesus and he cut off the soldier's ear in defense of Jesus. But Jesus rebuked him. It's as if Jesus is saying to Joshua, hey, now, you're the commander of this group of God's people at such a time as this, but remember, I'm in charge. Now I have come. It is on. The battle is not yours. It's mine. It's for my glory. You're a good soldier, Joshua, a great and obedient soldier, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. I could snap my fingers and my father could bring down 12 legions of angels at a moment's notice. That's 72,000 celestial warriors. And let's not forget, it only took two to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm in charge here. 
What a relief that must have been for Joshua. The pressure's not on his shoulders. And what a relief for us today. Are you making plans for your life? Be active like Joshua was making a battle plan for Jericho. Don't sit around and navel gaze or live and let God, but remember the commander of the army of the Lord is at work. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, I really do care about what decisions you might be struggling with in your life, with your job, school, relationships, etc. But more important than those decisions, I want your heart. Because if he has our hearts, he will, we will strive to be obedient to him and we will strive to make better decisions. Does he have your heart? Does he have your full allegiance? What battles have you been fighting where God might be saying to you, you know, you might be onto something true there, but you're going about it the wrong way. Tim Keller recently has been getting pummeled by the right and the left. And someone said, well, that must mean you're teaching the truth because the truth is found somewhere in the middle. But Keller essentially responded, absolutely not. Christianity should be something different, almost like a third way on a whole other level. Keller said, the biblical doctrine is not a middle way. The biblical position is not somewhere on a spectrum between alternatives. It is off the spectrum, yet acknowledges the concerns of all the positions. Are you for us or our enemies? No. In his book, Woke Church by Dr. Eric Mason, Reverend Mason has two forewords in the book. One written by civil rights great John M. Perkins, and the other by RTS CEO Legan Duncan. In Legan Duncan's foreword, he says, My colleague at Reformed Theological Seminary, Karen Ellis, always says to me, We need transcendent voices. Duncan continues to explain transcendent voices as. Voices that rise above the fray, above the petty bickering, voices that refuse partisan mantras that are simple and appealing but wrong and unhelpful, voices rooted in the word of God that understand the times, that faithfully speak the truth into our current context. I love the idea of having transcendent voices as Christians in today's culture. Jesus is the transcendent voice. In our community group this year, it's been fun to discuss the church's response to current cultural issues. And something we landed upon recently is that when you're having hard conversations with someone, they need to know you care. It's both grace and truth. I feel like we get the truth part right a lot in the Reformed tradition. Praise the Lord for that. But nobody really cares if we are right or wrong, if we have the wrong attitude or posture toward them. Years ago, when we first started coming to church here, I was frustrated and had some doctrinal differences I wasn't so hip on with this church. But I had also, at that time, gotten to know Pastor Scott personally. And I'd gotten to see 
grace and truth lived out in his life. I've since come to realize that he was right on those particular doctrines. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> but I needed to know he cared about me before I would even consider digging deeper. Let's continue to respect and listen to people with whom we have tough conversations. After all, they are made in God's image. And finally, let's look at Joshua's response. Joshua didn't recognize this person at first. But when he heard his voice, he knew who it was. Remember, Joshua had been Moses' assistant and had probably posted guard for Moses when Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak to the Lord. And it's very likely Joshua recognized the sound of his voice. Upon hearing his voice, he fell to the ground in worship. Do we recognize the voice of Jesus Christ? Not an audible voice, but that gentle nudging which often comes when we partake in the ordinary means of grace. I'm blown away by Joshua's humble response after being told Jesus wasn't for him or his enemies, because I would be pretty turnt at that point. What would we say in response to someone telling us no after 40 years of wandering in the desert? By the way, turnt means upset. I figure Scott says a lot of words that I don't understand, so I'm going to try to turn the tables on y'all. I'm sure many Christians might have joined me in whining. I'd be like, please, Lord, you sure you can't help us with this Jericho thing? It's kind of been a tough go, and we could really use a W right now. But Joshua says this. What does my Lord say to his servant? What a humble, obedient response. We come into the presence of a living, holy God. We know the rest of the story in Joshua 6. The Lord ultimately is for his people and fights for them. He ends up telling Joshua to do some crazy stuff, march around the city a bunch of times, blow the trumpet, shout, and then finally the Lord brought the walls down. Wow, what a sight. Joshua was steadfast and obedient along the way in the simple and the ordinary. And he got to see the Lord do something extraordinary. Matthew Henry says, We may then expect the discoveries of the divine grace when we are found in the way of our duty and are diligent and sincere in our attendance of holy ordinances. In conclusion, two quick things to close. First, maybe you've never met the angel of the Lord before. His sword is drawn. His sword has two sides. It will pierce the hardest of hearts with the wonderful message of the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ died in our place on a cross, a death we deserve for our sins, so we could be saved and have eternal life with God. But his sword will also judge the wicked. Please, I beg of you, surrender to the commander of the Lord's army, Jesus Christ. And second, personally, I don't know about you, but I've been discouraged overall by the witness Christians in America have been to the non-believing world during the last year or so. And this passage of scripture in Joshua has given me great comfort and direction. 
It seems like Christians in America, myself included, have been fighting some of the wrong battles and lost sight of what's truly important. I'm sad by that because secularization is a real trend in our country. Perhaps you know someone like I do who has turned away from the faith recently. Contrast the church in America today to the early church when Tertullian said about Christians, look how they love one another and how they are ready to die for each other. What would Tertullian say about the Christian church in America today? In the early church, there were plagues, probably smallpox. And people would abandon family members when they got sick, leaving them to die in the streets once they started to show symptoms. But the Christians risked their own lives, nursed the sick in the streets. Many Christians died, but many of the sick were nursed back to health. One example to the non-believing world. Why are you doing this for me, someone might ask because I serve the commander of the army of the Lord. This passage has helped me try, and I emphasize try, because I have failed. But to try to be more self-aware, not get so easily turned over issues, and to focus on the Lord's battle. Let's look up and see what he is up to. The battle is his, and the battle is won, and may we fall to our knees and ask him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Let me pray. Dear God, please help us to come to you with our plans and look up. Help us to fight the good fight you have marked out for each and every one of us, but the battle is yours. Give us transcendent voices in this day and age as we humbly fall at your feet and ask what you want us to do, knowing that you are in charge, the commander of the Lord's army. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.